the answer to your prayer. It's no, K-N-O-W. Prayer is a pretty large subject when you think about it. Um, I went through the uh, concordance and looked at all the places to talk about prayer. How to pray, when to pray, what to pray about, what to pray for, how long to keep praying for something. Does God really hear? You know, today prayer is not like an email. You can push it and you can see it got sent and didn't bounce back. You know the other person, when they get to their computer, will at least see it. But with prayer, there's no sent button. You accept by faith that God is there, and he does. But all these subjects could be interesting. You ever wonder why God doesn't respond sooner, better, more often? All these subjects we could study about for a long time, and you've probably wondered yourself exactly why. An interesting side bar to this as looking up prayer in a concordance, I found two books in the Bible that don't mention the word pray, prayer, prayers, and I was very surprised by one of them because it's Leviticus, which talks about how to worship in the temple, never says the word pray or prayer once. And the other one, I was, in fact, I double-checked it. I, I was shocked because it is the book of Esther. And I thought for sure that all the people were praying, but it said they were fasting. It didn't use the word prayer. But it's interesting, just a little sidebar. However, the rest of the Bible, almost every book, you'll find uh, talks, stories about prayer, answers to prayer, um, Jesus' prayer, David, the man after God's own heart and the one who wrote most of the Psalms, talks about prayer a lot. I'm sure that most of you, um, your sons and daughters, if you have any, and grandchildren, if you have any, probably pray. How many of you are certain that God has at one time answered at least one of your prayers? Anybody here? Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. God does answer prayer. Me too. I, I've told you about lots of different prayers that God has answered for me. And uh, you know, God still does miracles right now, right here in the Fox Valley, every single day. Billy Graham, anybody know how old he is now? According to Google this morning, he's 92. <laughs> And uh, he had a, uh, some people that asked him to um, come and give them a talk at 92 years old. Now, he's got Parkinson's disease, and uh, he's not, you know, at 92, uh, we might not be uh, as sharp as we once were. And so his first inclination to go to the uh, leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, and to talk at this luncheon was, no, I don't think I want to, but... So he hesitated, but they kept after him and said, no, Billy, we don't expect a big, a big speech or sermon or anything from when you, we just want you there so we can honor you. Um, after a bunch of wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped up to the rostrum and looked at the crowd and said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein. 
uh, a great physicist who'd been honored this month in Time magazine as the man of the century. Albert Einstein was once traveling on a train, and as the custom was in those days, the conductor would go and punch everybody's tickets. And so as he moved his way up the train, up the train, up the train, he came to Albert Einstein. And Albert looked at him. He felt in his pocket for a ticket. Didn't find it. The other pocket? Oh. Vest pocket? No. Looked on a seat next to him? No. Opened up his briefcase? No. And the conductor said, it's okay, um, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. I know you would have purchased a ticket. Everybody knows that you would have bought a ticket, so it's okay. Don't worry about it. Einstein uh, nodded appreciatively, and the conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he got to the very end, he looked back and saw Albert Einstein on his knees looking under the seat. And he came back and said, uh, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. It's no problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. Having said that, Billy Graham continued, you see this suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My children and my grandchildren tell me that I've, I, I'm not quite as uh, uh, fastidious as I used to be and don't dress quite as nicely. So I went out and bought this new suit uh, for this special occasion and one more. You know what that occasion is? I'm, the suit which I'm in today is the suit I'll be buried in. And when you hear I'm dead... I don't want you to think about the suit. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. And I thought that was a very interesting story. And it's probably the the first thing that you need to know when you think about prayer is you need to know where you're going. And pray that you'll remember, that you'll know where you're going and that you'll ask for God's help to get there. Now, talking about prayer, I was about nine, and I'd been brought up in a Christian family, and, and I believed in prayer. And I'd had, even at a young age, God answer many of my prayers. Well, one day I was at the beach, and uh, we lived in Wisconsin Rapids at the time, and it was the red sand beach at Lake Wazicha. There's two of them. One's got white sand, one's got red sand. I was at the red sand beach. And as we were swimming, and I'd just learned how at junior camp the year before that, and uh, so I knew how to swim, I saw somebody, uh, a boy, that was struggling out in the water, and I could tell he was drowning. And he kept going down, and he would just splash in the water. And so I thought I would go help him, because I knew how to swim. So I got into the water, and right at the drop-off, I reached out as far as I could to pull him back in. But guess what? He pulled me out, and he climbed me like a tree. (laughs) And I I was underwater, and I hadn't taken a breath. And now I was the one that was in danger. And I don't know how, you know how panicked people get when they're drowning, but he had a death grip on me. 
And so I prayed real quickly, uh, God, help me. I'm going to drown. And I just wanted to do something good. And somehow I was able to free myself. And I got back and went and got the lifeguard. And uh, the lifeguard was able to save him. They did some um, stuff with him, whatever they do, and breathed in his mouth and got him back alive again. And he was alive. And uh, God answered my prayer. I wasn't the hero that I thought I would be for saving some drowning boy, but we were both alive, and that was a good thing. I remember shortly before this that when I came home from school one day, I was seven, uh, and I got into the house. My mom was crying, and uh, I had never seen my mom cry. She was always a happy person, and, and so I asked her what was wrong. She sat me down in a chair, and she told me that she got, just got back from the doctor's office, and the doctor had told her that she had leukemia and that she might only live another six or seven months. And, uh, of course, I cried at the same time then when I found that out. Um, I remember our whole church prayed and uh, prayed for my mom to be healed. And actually, it was a blessing. She lived for six years after that, which was back in those days was uh, beyond even um, believing because they didn't know about bone marrow transplants. They didn't do anything like that. But as she got sicker and sicker in the end, she was pretty healthy except for the last uh, few months. And she went to radiation treatment down in Madison and she had some big burns on her back and, and it got into her bones and her back and she was in a lot of pain. And uh, <clears throat> then my mom died. And I couldn't understand as a young child, I was 13 then, why God would allow mom to die. We'd all prayed that she'd get better. And then I had this thought. I thought maybe he allowed her to die so that he can raise her from the dead and bring more glory to him. And so um, some of you uh, maybe were at that funeral and you noticed that I didn't cry at all. Well, I didn't cry because I was praying that God would raise her from the dead just like he had in the Old Testament times because I really believed in him. And at the funeral, uh, when they closed the top up and it didn't open back up again, I just kept praying. And when they buried my mom, I still kept praying, but she never woke up. And as a 13-year-old boy, I made a very bad decision. Um, I decided that if God would not answer a prayer like that, that he probably didn't care about me, and I was going to do the same thing. I wasn't going to care about him anymore either. My faith had been strong. I had not doubted at all. I prayed solidly, believingly, but Mom never woke up. I know she will someday, but then it was a different matter. Um, and so I didn't have any more interest in God, and the Bible or none of it. I started kind of a 12-year uh, path towards the, the dark side. Many of you that know my life know that's what happened. Um, now I know that not all prayers are answered in the way that you think they should be. Um, even if you have the faith that could move mountains. And I know that someday when my mom um, wakes up again that I will be able to see her. And I know that 
because God knows the end from the beginning, he probably knew things I didn't know about maybe the lingering pain she would have, about maybe the doubt she would have, about, I don't know, but I know that God uh, knows best. I trust in him now, and uh, I know that someday I'll know the rest of the story, but God knows the future. How can I presume to know better than that? And I'm glad that God didn't give up on me like I did on him. I know there's uh, people in this church that prayed for me every day for those 12 years that uh, somehow God would get that spark back in my heart that I would turn to him, and I did. So the first thing you need to know about um, God and prayer is, number one, you need to know where you're headed. And keep in tune that that's the most important choice you have and keep headed towards heaven and a relationship with God. The second thing you need to know is that when you answer, uh, when you ask for a prayer, that God knows what's best for you, even if you don't, and he doesn't always answer the prayers exactly like you would like to. Um, You know, the trip to heaven is not a day trip. (laughs) You probably figure that out by now. You don't accept Jesus one day and you're there the next. It's kind of a long trip. And there can be some disappointments on the way. And I'm sure many of you have experienced uh, those same types of disappointments. But you need to know that God loves you and that ultimately he has your best interests at heart. Which one of you parents, if your children asked you for a new car, and you knew that would be the car that they would die in, would buy it for them. See, those choices God has all the time. And we don't see it, but he knows behind the scenes exactly what's best for us. We probably have many days to travel yet. We don't know. Uh, Your trip could be over tomorrow. There's people all across this country that die every single day, every single minute and we might be next. So it's best to be prepared for our trip, no matter what time it comes. Um, Someday you and I might end up in a fiery furnace of some sort of trial, and our only hope is that we have God there with us to help us through it. You know, life without God is like an unsharpened pencil that has no point. I, uh, I, I get lots of emails, and I thank each one of you that send those to me because I use many of them. Uh, they help me, encourage me throughout the day, and um, I, I would suggest that if you uh, want to send good emails, uh, send them my way. But if you want to send good, uplifting emails, send them other people's ways too because that might be the day they need it, and it's really good to have it. I got one um, the other day, which... Uh, I'll find it here in a second. There it is. And it it fit right into this. In fact, I'll tell you about the fellow that sent me this email. He he belongs to a safari club international with me. And um, he's been known to be a very um, un-Christian person. He's very worldly-minded, has been in the past. And um, he and I have been talking for the last couple years, and he sent me some emails that I, I thought were inappropriate for me. And so I told him, uh, please don't send those kind of emails. I, I just, 
Um, I'd rather you didn't send them to me, but thank you for thinking of me, but don't send me those anymore, please. And so he started sending me good emails, uh, emails about God, emails about prayer. And in fact, uh, this email I'm reading you today, he sent me. And as I got it, a few weeks back, I told I sent an email back to him. I thanked him. I said, Buzz, I said, thanks so much for this email. I said, it's exactly what I needed uh, for a sermon that I'm, that I'm intending on preaching. I was looking for something. This is it. So you answered God's prayer. And he emailed back at 10 minutes later. I didn't know you preach. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but, you know. And then the next thing he, he said was, I never thought about how I could answer God's prayer. And we have been having some really good conversations about God and how he loves all of us. I, I, uh, he, he had said oftentimes that God just likes you best. I said, Buzz, God loves everybody. It's just how we respond to him. And so he, I'm, I'm very hopeful that his, his mind is opening, and I think it is. Here's the email. I want, it's about prayer. And I'm going to have to read this one because it's... it's uh, Someone's direct words. A man from Norfolk, Virginia, called a local radio station to share this on September 11, 2003, two years after the tragedy in New York City. His name was Robert Matthews, and these are his words. A few weeks before September 11th, my wife and I found out we were going to have a first child. She planned a trip out to California to visit her sister. On our way to the airport, we prayed that God would grant my wife a safe trip and be with her. Shortly after I said amen, we both heard a loud pop, and the car shook uncontrollably. We had a blown-out tire. As quickly as I could, I replaced the tire, but we still missed her flight. Both very upset, we drove home. I received a call from my father, who was retired New York um, Fire Department. He asked what my wife's flight number was. But I explained we'd missed the flight, but this was the number. My father informed me that her flight was the one that crashed into the Southern Tower. I was uh, too shocked to speak. My father also had more news for me. He said he was going to help. This is not something I can just sit by for. I have to do something. I was concerned for his safety, of course, but more because he had never given his life to Christ. After a brief debate, I knew his mind was made up. Before he got off the phone, he said, take care of my grandchild. Those were the last.